This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. You know what I don't understand? Uh, CNN, which honestly I watch for one hour a week. That's it. Saturday mornings, uh, 9 o'clock Eastern. That's it. But, you know, we're in a facility where all the cable news networks are on. You have Fox News on. You have a local news channel on. You have uh, MSNBC and you have CNN. And that's great. I like it. I like seeing kind of the different take that all the networks have. But, you know, they're on with the sound. I like seeing the different take that all the networks have on the same news and the differences that various networks have in what is actually considered news and what's not. So I'm watching this this screen that has CNN on. And you know who's on there? Um, Jeffrey Tubin. Now, nothing against Jeffrey Tubin. A lawyer, smart guy. But CNN fired him just last year, or I guess in 2022, technically, August of 2022, because I think of, um, you know, he was fired after the incident where he exposed himself on a Zoom call that happened a couple of years earlier. I'm not sure why they ultimately decided to pull the plug in August of 2022. But what I don't, maybe I do get this, right? So basically, Jeffrey Tubin used to go on all the CNN shows and provide legal analysis. And presumably, they would pay him to do that. Well, so now, if he's just a guest, he's going on CNN, on whatever show that's on there now, for free. So I just wonder, you know, he's struck a bad deal. He used to get paid to go on CNN, and now he's doing the same thing he was doing, but... He's doing it for free. But if you're CNN and you find this guy such a loser or so objectionable, or I don't want to be pejorative, you don't want this guy on your airwaves for whatever reason, either because he's not up to snuff anymore or because, you know, he's uh, scandal plagued or, you know, he says things that are nonsensical. If you don't want this guy on your airwaves, why would you have shows on that invite him as a guest? Now, again, I've worked in radio for a long time, and there have been instances where I've had on on the radio, people that were previously fired from that radio station, but it's been years later, not 13 months later. This is really interesting. I don't know how that uh, works out. All right. I got a bone to pick with the Pope. Now, I uh, I grew up Catholic, and there's still a lot of things about the Catholic Church that I really love. In fact, recently, they had a different schedule for uh, Christmas Eve the Sunday Masses on Christmas Eve, so the evangelical church that we usually go to 
they didn't have services at a time that we thought that we had services. So we got there and there were no services until the evening. So we ended up going to a Catholic service and it was great to be back. I, I enjoyed it. And we saw a lot of folks that we knew there. And I, I love many different aspects of Catholicism. But I, I have to tell you, Pope Francis is way, in my judgment, out to lunch on what he is saying now. Now, I know the Pope has said a lot of things that rife, that uh, ruffle people's feathers, but he usually picks the side of being progressive. He usually picks the side of being more liberal. Most recently, this took the form of saying that priests could bless same-sex unions, did not give uh, priests the permission to marry same-sex couples, but if a same-sex couple is in a domestic partnership or something along those lines, the Pope gave the blessing to the priest to give his blessing, to give the priest blessing. And by the way, that went over like a lead balloon in Africa. Africa, where the church is growing almost more than in any other continent, that went over very poorly. And there's a big controversy about that, which is a big deal because Africa, is, their influence in the church is growing. European and certainly American influence in the church is diminishing. There's actually a very real possibility that they say the next pope may be from Africa. But let's put that aside. So the pope is urging a ban on surrogacy. Using surrogate mothers, let's say a mother is uh, unable to, a woman is unable to carry a baby to term. It's not uncommon in a lot of places around the country and around the world to allow a surrogate mother. Uh, the state that I live in, New York State, they made that legal just two years ago. Excuse, no, actually now it's three years ago. It's February of 2021. Up until then, you couldn't have surrogates in New York either. But the Pope really... He went, he unloaded on this surrogacy. He didn't just say, I don't like it. He called it despicable and urged a, a worldwide ban on surrogacy. Essentially, what the Pope said is that an unborn child must not be turned into an object of trafficking. And he expanded his condemnation of a practice that is already illegal in Italy and some other European countries. He called surrogate motherhood a despicable practice that should be universally banned for its commercialization of pregnancy, including the practice among wars, terrorism, and other threats to peace and humanity. This was in an annual speech to ambassadors. Can we can we take a step back? The Pope included surrogacy in the same breath as wars, terrorism, and other threats to humanity. Now, look, I realize I'm not trying to oversimplify the issue. I recognize some people may have a moral issue with surrogacy, especially if there's money changing hands, which there often is. But to include the practice of surrogacy, which in almost every case involves giving a couple a child that wants one, to include that in the same mindset as war or terrorism, I mean, to me it's delusional. But the Pope said, 
An unborn child must not be turned into an object of trafficking. He added, I consider despicable the practice of so-called surrogate motherhood, which represents a grave violation of the dignity of the woman and the child based on the exploitation of situations of the mother's material needs. A child should never be the basis of a commercial contract and called for a global ban on surrogacy to prohibit this practice universally. So as I mentioned, surrogacy is illegal in Italy and compensated surrogacy is restricted in other parts of Europe, the UK, the Netherlands, Portugal, and a couple of other countries. They do allow surrogacy under certain conditions, But paid surrogacy is legal in some European nations, including Ukraine, Russia, and Belarus. Surrogate mothers in the U.S. and Canada are often hired by Europeans, including same-sex couples seeking to have children, though some American states have outlawed the practice. Again, my state didn't allow it until three years ago. Francis is a constant critic of consumerism's corrosive effects on humanity. And he's deeply wary that a profit motive will warp the traditional creation of life. So while Francis has generally avoided a lot of these culture war issues, you know, homosexuality and things like that, in order to emphasize priorities that he's more concerned with, he has always upheld church teaching on issues and maintained an absolute opposition to both surrogacy and abortion. He's equated abortion with hiring a hitman to resolve a problem. The Catholic Church has long opposed surrogacy as it has in vitro fertilization for a variety of ethical and theological reasons. And Francis has spoken frequently about what he calls ideological colonization. Well, look, I I am not going to, you know, I'm not going to quote question the Pope's expertise on uh, spiritual or doctrinal issues. But I have to tell you, I have many friends, not just a few, many friends that have had children through in vitro fertilization. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. I really don't. I realize that may upset a lot of people. But, um, you know, I have I'm, I'm thinking of three couples that I was with in the last week or so that had children through in, in vitro fertilization. Good for them. But for that, I don't know that they would have had a child. I don't think I know any couples that had a surrogate mother because, again, the state that I live in, it's been it, it's only been legal for three years. Uh, maybe there is, but none that I'm aware of. And I think that if you're going to be able, even if there's money involved, to give a family a child that wants one, I think that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing for the family. It's a wonderful thing for this child that's going to be born into a loving home. And, you know, at a time when Western countries and a lot of Catholic families are not reproducing, they're not even keeping up with their existing population. They have negative population growth. I think the Pope is very short-sighted on this one, not only from a moral and an ethical issue, but from a strategic issue. He should want Catholics reproducing as much as possible, including if that's via surrogacy. IVF, I realize that's a little bit more complicated because of the nature of embryos and things of that nature. But, you know, I'm struck by, one, 
this denunciation of surrogacy yesterday. But the I'm also struck by the vitriolic denunciation of surrogacy, which was wrapped in, you know, that familiar critique and reflected what people close to him call his frustration with what he considers the arrogance of the wealthy West, often towards less affluent parts of the world. Well, then maybe you just be against paid surrogacy. Why be against surrogacy, period? I, I think this is a big mistake. Big mistake. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. You know, I've not spoken with my wife about this. But if, you know, if she couldn't have a child, I, you know, I would certainly have wanted to consider a surrogate motherhood option. And if we couldn't conceive in the traditional way, you know, I don't know why we wouldn't consider an IVF issue. So, again, I realize these are very cagey ethical issues here. Um, but I think surrogate motherhood can be a wonderful thing. I think it's a great way to provide more children loving homes and an existence that they wouldn't otherwise have. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. The Pope's remarks came during an annual foreign policy address to diplomats accredited to the Holy See. That traditionally serves as a lament for all the world's conflicts and injustices. This year, it was a lot of material to work with. As he called the new year a time when peace was increasingly threatened, weakened, and in some part, lost. While Francis was reluctant to name Russia as the aggressor in its war with Ukraine, he did specifically mention the large-scale war waged by the Russian Federation against Ukraine. And uh, he also restated his plea for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza as well as Lebanon and uh, lamented the strong Israeli military response that has killed thousands and prompted a humanitarian crisis in Gaza and reasserted his support for a two-state solution. He also condemned Hamas's assault on Israel and every instance of terrorism and extremism, and he called for the immediate release of hostages. So there's something for just about everybody to dislike and to like in the Pope's comments at this uh, thing. All right, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Benny in Bergen. Hi, Benny. Benny. All right. 800-848-9222. Oh, this is a nice email from Julia. I would save this for next Tuesday for the mail, but nobody will remember what we have done today. Julia writes, Frank, always a good show. Love them all. However, wanted to take a minute to say, in my humble opinion, tonight's show is a quintessential model of the best of the best. It has everything. Serious, fun, interesting, good back and forth interaction with the listeners. Super. Thank you. Well, Julia, as you should know, I am a superstar. 800-848-9222. Charlie is in Hell's Kitchen. Hi, Charlie. Hello, Frank. I called because Russell from White Plains is really getting under my skin. He really is his comments about, you know, the Zionist war machine, and it was just awful. And uh, David from the Bronx, who called right up afterwards, he was right on point where he says, I, I noticed 
You know, Ru- Russell never condemns Hamas. He's always mysteriously silent when it comes to Hamas. And I've noticed among the intellectual lefters, it's become fashionable to criticize. Israel. Well, I don't think he's left. I think Russell is a um, is a right winger. Well, per- perhaps uh, I'll trust your judgment on that. But uh, it's become fashionable among so many people. I'll just say to criticize Israel. There's a lot of Israel bashing, and it's not true what they're doing. The Israeli soldiers, the Israeli military, particularly their commanders, they're using surgical strikes. They're trying to target the terrorists, and they're exposing their own soldiers to a great deal of danger, and a lot of soldiers are being killed uh, unnecessarily. When I say unnecessarily, what I mean by that is and I wish they would do this. They're falsely accused of this all the time, so they might as well just do it and take the rap well, for it. Yeah, I mean, it's look, I, I appreciate no, your could- yeah, I appreciate your view, and I appreciate Russell's view. Look, as you know, Charlie, uh, and thanks for the call. There are a variety of issues. There are a variety of perspectives on this um, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and I'd like this show to be a place where you hear all of them. You do hear every perspective on this show. You'll hear from Dan Kavalik. You'll hear from Debbie Schlussel. You'll hear from Michael Tracy. You'll hear from Jeffrey Lichtman. You know, you hear from, um, you know, every a wide variety of uh, of people on the uh, on the Israeli-Palestinian question, both callers and guests. And that's that's how I'd prefer it. So uh, but I, I still don't think Russell was was right with his uh, comment. By the way, if uh, you don't know what uh, Charlie's talking about because you're listening to an hour of this show that um, is not carried on your station, like our good buddies over in St. Louis on KMOX, you got to go back and listen to the full podcast. So after you finish listening to the show this morning, just go and search the other side of midnight on any podcast app. And you can subscribe to the podcast in its entirety, even if your show doesn't, even if your station, rather, doesn't carry it. Uh, Very honored to be on KMOX, but, uh, you know, there are a couple last, you know, the couple hours that uh, they're not necessarily carrying. 800-848-9222. Joaquin is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, Joaquin. Please, Frank, give me my new name that you gave me. Joaquin the idiot. (laughs) Okay, well, so be it, so be it. Joaquin, what's on your mind? Okay, well, actually, there are a couple things, actually, but one is I agree with you. You know what? I have, uh, I'm 64 years old. I'm pro- old enough to be your father, I'm pretty sure. Um, I have four children. I have nine Not grandchildren. So sure. Yeah. And if people want to have a child, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's her egg and, and his sperm, whatever it is, and the only alternative they have is for somebody else to carry the child, and that person maybe needs to make a couple bucks, I see nothing wrong with it, you know? You're you're giving somebody, you know, something that they're not going to be able to have another, you know, another way. Uh, well, so, obviously, I agree with you, Joaquin. I just also the number of problems in the world right now and the Catholic Church, the fact that the Pope would choose to highlight and emphasize this one, I just, it's beyond me. Now, I get where he's coming from. I know he doesn't like capitalism, basically. He doesn't like consumerism, and he views this as just the more exploitation of people without money, but uh, I think it's so short-sighted for all the reasons that that I've stated. And not only that, I mean, I've got many issues with this pulp. I mean, if you look at end times prophecies, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds with this, you know, but he worships the new religion of climate change, you know, and uh, 
But I also want to comment quickly on the whole generational thing. There has been a big change in generations, you know, and if you go back to my generation, my, my parents grew up in Nazi Germany. I could actually tell some stories about that. My one grandfather won the Iron Cross twice in World War One. He was a Nazi official. He was executed by the Nazis for helping undesirable people. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, when I was 14, my brother was 12, my friend was 13, off law just dropped us off on the Great South Bay, and we went clamming. Dropped right. us off with both, you know, we, we went clamming, and we made money, you know. And today, I'm sure that, you know, our parents would have been charged with child neglect Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's true. Well, okay, I think, look, you're seeing things go the other way, actually, and thanks for the call. You're seeing more and more states pass these Childhood Freedom Acts, which make clear that parents can leave their children alone for a bit uh, and not worry about being arrested or something along those lines. You know, you know that's why I want to be careful beating up on the Generation Zs, because it's true what the critics of Jody Foster are saying in that Every generation bashes the one, the, the current crop of young people. Everybody. You go back 50 years and people were saying, oh, I can't believe the kids are listening to this Beatles nonsense. Oh, what's this racket? If you go back 60 years, what's this racket? Elvis Presley, why is he shaking his hips like the parents were, would have a conniptions? Now, if you, uh, you came home and your child was listening to Elvis or the Beatles, you'd be thrilled. So, I mean, there is there is always a beating up on the current generation of young people. However, I do think that Generation Z just might be a little worse. 800-848-9222. JR is in Brooklyn. Hello, JR. Hey, good morning, Frank. Listen, this is just another archaic view of the Catholic Church. No one asks, hey, what do you, what's your view on surrogacy? He just goes ballistic on it. He doesn't. He could have easily just said, "Hey, you know, look in your hearts for toward adoption." Right. You know, you, you don't have to go scorched earth on a on a topic that's not even really a major concern within your organization. You have so many things that are wrong. You're losing membership like crazy. Um, you know, there's so many other issues with the Catholic Church and with the world in general. You really could have picked from a really big palette of problems before you decided to just go after surrogacy. No one even cares. And again, the language he used, he didn't just yeah. say that he didn't like it, but to call it despicable. And I'm just picturing a couple that can't have children in the, you know, where the, the wife, if there is a wife, having the, uh, um, you know, not being able to carry a baby to, to term. And I'm picturing a devout Catholic couple being you'll seeing that the pope's calling what they want to do despicable when all they want to do is bring a child into a loving home i i, I find it so cold-hearted honestly that's three less catholics right there right exactly right there. great you point just lost three right there right that's a great point uh jr thank you uh 800-848-9222 alfredo what's on your mind uh yes frank i just hear that you say that the pope said despicable well, the Pope doesn't speak English, so the, maybe the translation must be wrong. Another thing, uh, when you comment about the, the next Pope, we could be from Africa. I was so afraid because uh, there is, uh, you know, for a long time ago, I hear that the, the end of the world is coming when the Pope uh, will be a, 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 black pope, a black Pope. Yeah. Well, uh, so you're saying that maybe the next pope won't be from Africa, I guess. 
Uh, I guess because yeah. Africa has many population black people, you know. Well, I mean, who knows? We'll see. I, I can't really say. All right. Comment as you see fit. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. A girl went back to Napoli because she missed the scenery, the native dances, and the charming songs. But wait a minute, something's wrong. Mambo Italiano, eh Mambo, Mambo Italiano, go, 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 you mixed up Sigiliano, all you Calabrese do the Mambo like a crazy with a, eh Mambo, don't want a Tarantella, eh Mambo, no more mozzarella, eh Mambo, Mambo Italiano, try an enchilada with the fish bacala, the great Rosemary Clooney. I love Singing Mambo Italiano, uh, which became, uh, on um, this day, it became, a, in 1955, it took first place in the music charts. So there you have it. A uh, great song, no matter what the year. 33 minutes after the hour, yours truly, Frank Morano here. What is the cookie that is two little chocolate wafers with some vanilla cream in between. Tony, what is the cookie with two uh, chocolate wafers and some vanilla cream in between? Oreos. Uh, You are correct, sort of. What other cookie could be described by the description that I just gave you? You got me on that. Matt, help him out. I know you know. Yeah, I know. Tell me. The Hydrox. The Hydrox. Exactly. So here's what's interesting. Everybody knows the Oreo. The Oreo is ubiquitous. Even my son knows what an Oreo is. Do you see anybody eating Hydrox anymore? And there was a... Here's what's interesting, though. The Hydrox came out before the Oreo. Everybody thinks that the Hydrox is some sort of Oreo ripoff. Not the case. The Hydrox goes to 1908, and the Hydrox has had a storied history. I mean, take a listen to this commercial from 1966. These are cookies. Cookies are good to eat. Do you like cookies? I like cookies. Do you like this cookie? I like this cookie. This cookie is the perfect combination of delicious chocolate with just the right amount of vanilla filling. Do you know its name? Sunshine Hydrox. Which cookie is perfect as dessert or with your favorite desserts? Sunshine Hydrox. And which cookie is the original cream-filled chocolate cookie? Sunshine Hydrox. Anybody knows that? Everybody knows that, except Tony. So, you have wondered, at least I've wondered, why... Oreo, the Hydrox knockoff, 
is everywhere when Hydrox can't you can't find it anywhere. Well, uh, a newsletter that I read called The Hustle looked into this because we we cover a lot of mysteries on this show. Sometimes the mystery is who killed JFK. Sometimes the mystery is are aliens visiting us on a regular basis. Today, here and now, the mystery is the curious case of the disappearing Hydrox cookies. You know, it's funny. I I drive myself crazy. Um, I replay, and I, I am a psychologist's dream, honestly. But I replay whenever I'm by myself scenes in my head of life. Like it's basically like I watch my life in twelve hour in twelve hour segments. And I can't remember, I made a very apt Hydrox Oreo comparison within the last two weeks. For the life of me, I can't remember who I was talking to. I messaged all four of the group texts uh, or group chats and WhatsApp chats that I talk to regularly. And it turns out it was none of them. It was somebody. I can't remember for the life of me who it is. And then the next day or within the next two days, I see this Hydrox article. So, it's by Mark Dent. Really interesting. So, Audrey Beard, or excuse me, Audrey Peard, is searching for an elusive chocolatey piece of Americana, a package of Hydrox cookies. She's visited multiple grocery stores near her home in the Bronx. She's followed a Facebook group and even talked to a manager at a production facility in El Segundo, California, about supply shortages. About 30, 40 years, I've been on the trail for Hydrox, and it's a dirty path, I tell you. Hydrox was the original chocolate sandwich cookie, predating Oreo, with a mildly sweet cream and a crunchier cookie that has a darker chocolate taste than its rival. Hydrox developed a reputation as the dessert of the discerning eater. It was, according to legendary food writer Calvin Trillin, the far superior cookie. And again, I don't have that much of a sweet tooth, so I don't eat these cookies much anyway, but I much prefer it. Always have. Yet, Oreo's dominance is unparalleled. It accounts for roughly 10% of all cookies purchased in the United States. Can you imagine that? 10% of all cookies. Nabisco, the maker of Oreo commands nearly 40% of the cookie market. Hydrox, meanwhile, was discontinued in 2003, but it came back in 2015 thanks to Leaf Brands, a San Diego-based company that specializes in reheated nostalgia. I'm hoping these guys will do something to bring back Tab, but Coca-Cola has been completely recalcitrant on that one. The company attempted to reintroduce Hydrox to America through deals with the likes of Kroger, Walmart, smaller grocery stores. And like almost anything else, you can buy Hydrox on Amazon, but a regular package at a grocery store? Miss Pierre's attempts to find them have fallen short, which she regularly vents about with her friends. So if you believe the makers of Hydrox um, might be the, you know, it, they all blame these recent MBA graduates. They believe that the optimization strategies don't account for Hydrox's loyal following. But if you believe the makers of Hydrox, the culprit, might be their longtime foe, Oreo, the two, Oreo and Hydrox, have been deadlocked in competition for more than 100 years. 
It's like the the Capulets and the Montagues. It's like the Hatfields and McCoys. And Nabisco has been accused of everything from threatening wholesalers in the early 20th century to buying up grocery store shelves and elbowing out smaller companies today. So in March of 1912, the first batch of Oreos produced for sale was shipped from Nabisco's uh, headquarters in Manhattan to a grocer in Hoboken, New Jersey. It should have been a historic moment for American innovation, if not for an inconvenient fact. Nabisco ripped these guys off. They stole the Hydrox. It's like if I uh, come out with a, uh, it's, this is like McDowell's. You ever see Coming to America? Oh, let's come out with, uh, let's come out with a restaurant. Uh, it's got golden arches. Uh, it's got a, you know, no seeds on the, on the sesame, on the Big Mac. That's the difference. This is ridiculous. This is the biggest ripoff since Webster. So this smaller rival, Sunshine Biscuits, was started by Jacob and Joseph Luce in 1902. A couple decades earlier, the brothers had purchased a little candy and cracker company in Kansas City, Missouri. Yes, Missouri! Renamed it after themselves. And they built it into a regional power before merging it with the American Biscuit Company. But this was the era of consolidation, monopolies, trusts. And in, in 1898, the American Biscuit Company was subsumed into a new trust, the National Biscuit Company, now known today as, yes, you guessed it, Nabisco, which gained control of 90% of large U.S. bakeries. So in 1908, Sunshine created one of its most popular products, the Hydrox. And according to the company lore, the name stemmed from the elements of water, hydrogen, and oxygen chosen to symbolize the cookie's cleanliness at a time when materials like chalk and plaster of Paris routinely appeared in cookies and other baked goods. Sunshine brag that chemicals tested hydrox, chemists text tested hydrox for purity and that workers made them at thousand window factories with natural right, light. When Nabisco reflects its trust muscles by developing the Oreo, Sunshine doubled down. In 1912, the year Nabisco first sold its copycat cream cookie, Sunshine announced the construction of a $2 million Queens factory to challenge Nabisco's home base of New York City. Hydrox also stood out against Oreo by promoting its more adult taste and... Kosher ingredients, thank you very much, in advertisements that bordered on erotic at times. Listen to this. This is from 1925, one ad for Hydrox. Hydrox will delight any appetite at any time. Give me some uh, sexy music in the background of this if you can, Tony. Hydrox will delight any appetite at any time. This is another one from 1929. It sounds like it's clipped from a romance novel. Imprisoned between the two chocolate cookies of sunshine, Hydrox is the purest snow-white velvety cream in all the cookie world. It's unclear how Hydrox and Oreo compared in sales for most of the 20th century. But newspapers shared the financials of Nabisco and Sunshine every year. It's like Coke versus Pepsi now. 
They didn't have cookie reporters, though, at the time to offer deeper analysis. So um, what's going on now? Sometime around 1950, Sunshine Biscuits Factory opened in Kansas City, Kansas. And the great aunt of Mark Dent, who wrote this article, she worked there. And, you know, this guy seems like a pretty clever guy. It might be interesting to have him on this show. And his great aunt, Mildred, of course her name is Mildred, she clocked in from 3 p.m. to midnight, and she eventually became a supervisor. And Mildred handled quality control. She observed and guided other women who sorted Hydrox cookies coming off a conveyor belt. Cookies with physical defects were discarded, often taken home by Mildred to share for desserts. Later, this fella who wrote this article, Mark Dent, his dad, his uncle, and aunt spent summers working at the factory, too. His dad recalled Hydrox being every bit as big or bigger than Oreo. You'd see Hydrox at the store on the shelves. There would be Oreos, but Hydrox would stand out. And you hear the same thing from other Hydrox fans in the 50s, in the 60s, and the 70s. Hydrox and Oreo really were like Pepsi and Coke. It was not like Bing and Google. The market share wasn't necessarily equal, but each cookie had a sizable fan base. So what happened? That was, as you know, as close as Sunshine would get. Nabisco's power and their deep coffers lifted the company as TV ushered in the golden age of advertising. Messages geared to children gave Oreo a youthful edge, while Hydrox... When it advertised at all, they continued to tout its superior and kosher taste to adults. Here's a Hydrox commercial from uh, the 1980s. I think this is from 1988. I'm a Hydrox cookie. Hydrox. Hydrox. Some kids have trouble remembering my name. I don't understand why. I mean, you like a creamy center? Here's a creamy center. Thick, delicious, creamy, creamy. And you like a dark, crunchy chocolate cookie? Well, here it is. But you got to remember my name. Hydrox. Hydrox. Don't forget. Hydrox. Remember? Hydrox. 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 Hydrox from the Sunshine Baker Man. I can't imagine why young people didn't flock to that kind of marketing. By the 90s, Hydrox was an afterthought. It was losing out to Oreo by a 20 times margin. Its adherents were limited to the thrifty because Hydrox was now the consistently cheaper option because, you know, baked in to the Oreo was the cost of the marketing, the advertising. The kosher, because until Oreo removed animal fat from its recipe, the kosher would choose Hydrox. I don't know why Jewish and kosher families didn't stick with Hydrox after the change. Why not reward the brand that's been loyal to you? And... The only other people are the obsessively loyal. So Keebler purchased Sunshine in 1996 before getting acquired by Kellogg, which discontinued in 2003. In its final years, Hydrox couldn't even talk up its status as the original. So um, according to our research, a Keebler spokesperson said to The Hustle, not only is that claim of Hydrox predating Oreo not meaningful to consumers, it's not even credible. People don't believe it. They think Hydrox are the knockoff of Oreos, not the other way around. So with Hydrox gone, these loyal fans scoured shelves for their favorite cookie, sharing stories online. One person claimed they spotted a, a crushed Hydrox in a scoop of Edie's ice cream. Another believed Delta had a stash that it served on flights. Well, Ilya Kasoff, a longtime kosher fan of Hydrox, 
figured out a way to bring the cookie back. His company, Leaf Brands, petitioned the federal government to secure the unused trademark, the Hydrox trademark from Kellogg, and resurrected uh, Hydrox. In 2015, they swapped out high fructose corn syrup for natural sugar. And otherwise, they stuck to the original recipe. But the feel-good story didn't last long because according to Leaf Brands, a buyer for a major grocery chain gave them a warning in 2018. Nabisco is going to hide your cookies all over our stores and make sure you don't get any sales. The grocery store, you see, is not the meritocracy that you might imagine. Many shelves are governed not by supply and demand, but by big manufacturers making backroom deals with retailers to purchase uh, shelf space. That's not me saying this. That's Matthew Simon, who studies this stuff. And he's the deputy litigation director for the Center for Science in the Public Interest, a group that was founded by Ralph Nader. Simon has researched anti-competitive practice in retail for a long time. And one way these manufacturers score these top positions is through category captain arrangements, which became big about 30 years ago. Basically, retailers get paid to have a major manufacturer in a food or drink category advise them how to stock, place, and price the various products within the company's category. Supporters for the arrangement believe that the dominant manufacturer has the best insights into the category leading to efficient usage of shelf space that benefits grocery stores and other manufacturers. But the potential downside is obvious. A category captain has an opportunity to stifle its competitors. So when the former commission of the FTC first learned about this thing, category captains, he wrote that the concept set off every antitrust alarm there is. A 2021 study by Jinrong Zhu revealed that category captains benefited significantly while competitors dealt with increased competition for shelf space and revenue losses. But the pervasiveness of category captain arrangements and how they work, it's a closely guarded industry secret. Few academic studies have been devoted to this. And Leaf Brands, for obvious reasons, they've been a rare, outspoken manufacturer against the practice. They've asked the Federal Trade Commission twice to examine whether their adversaries use their role as category captain to quell the nascent competition from Hydrox by implementing its bag of dirty tricks. I think this is wild because Hydrox remains a tough cookie to find, whether it's because... um, you know, of the influence of Nabisco or the limitations on leaf brands to promote, produce, and sell Hydrox, or the fact that most people under the age of 30 have probably never even tasted a Hydrox before. In 2018, Kroger dropped Hydrox from its stores. Last year, customers complained of delays and shortages for bulk Hydrox packages from Amazon. Hydrox fans have posted they can't find Hydrox at regional and local stores. You know, it's funny. A friend of mine, my friend Peter, he said, I'm eating Oreo when we were on a group text about this when I was trying to figure out who I spoke to. I'm eating Oreos right now. He said, I'm Hydrox all the way. I just can't ever find them. Oreo is sabotaging their sales. 
This is a trust that needs to be busted and pronto. I am uh, sending this article from The Hustle to all the anti-monopoly reporters that I follow in the hopes that they can do something about this. Because it's not right. If Oreo wants to compete in the marketplace of ideas and put out a better product than Hydrox at a better price with better marketing and better ingredients, then let's do it. But for them to try to put their thumb on the scale and rig the game before cookie eaters have any real choice, that doesn't sit well with me, no matter how good Oreo's commercials are. Oh, 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 bright ideas and an Oreo cookie. It's a bright idea to dunk it or to crunch it or unscrew it or to lick it or to trick it. But no matter what you do, it's true. It's fun to munch a creamy, crunchy chocolate. O-R-E-O goes great with imagination Puts the yum in your creation Oreo and Oreo Double Stuffed Cookies Comments as you see fit. Uh, 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. the Dave Matthews Band Crush. Today is uh, Dave Matthews' birthday. Happy birthday, Dave Matthews. Hey, uh, you know, so now the uh, we started this with the awards shows now going into high gear. By the way, congratulations to the Golden Globes. 10 million viewers Sunday night. Hello. Uh, that is a big uptick from 6.3 million the last time. And remember what I said. And this was with a comic that was totally unprepared and not very funny as the host, honestly. Remember what I said? If it was anything other than 6.3 million, it was going to be considered a win. And they had 10 million viewers. You know why? Because Taylor Swift was there. The guy made a Taylor Swift joke. She made a face at the guy. That's it. That's it. But anyway, uh, so I'm trying to see as many of these year-end movies as possible now. It's, it's tough. It takes five five opportunities to finish a whole movie so i finally saw because i was up in the middle of the night over the weekend may december really interesting this is a fictional this is loosely based on the whole mary Kay letourneau uh, villy falau romance two wonderful actresses who also happen to be uh, very pretty and very apropos for the role um, uh, Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman, both great in it. 
Natalie Portman plays an actress that's studying Julianne Moore's character. It's a player in an upcoming film. And in a lot of ways, it's not necessarily about a, a movie about a, an adult sleeping with a middle schooler. It's more a movie about making a movie. And you know what I like that they did is they... Every just to remind you that you were watching a movie within a movie a couple of times, they have this very jarring soundtrack from the 1970s. And then I watched the credits to see why they had that music in there. And it was intentional. It was intentional. They took the soundtrack of a 1970s TV movie for the the soundtrack. And so I thought it was really well done. I thought it was kind of a, a there was simmering tension throughout the film. I didn't think the story was predictable. The acting is great. It's um I thought it was really great actually. I I enjoyed it. Is it funny? No. I didn't understand how it got nominated in the uh best musical or comedy category, but it's not really that dramatic either, but I liked it. I liked it. It's enjoyable. And if you don't mind the subject matter of a 37-year-old, 36-year-old sleeping with a 13-year-old and how their lives unfolded after they became a couple, then I think you'll like the picture. Great acting. All right, 800-848-9222. We've got a lot of good cookie calls here, even a couple of good Pope calls. I don't want to rush anyone. Hey, let me squeeze in uh, Tony in Florida who's been waiting. Everybody else will get to you after the top of the hour. Hello, Tony. Hey, Frank. Morning. Morning. We got about a minute here, Tony. It's all yours. I just wanted to say the Pope, okay, first of all, I'm Catholic. And in case people don't know, it's supposed to be a sin to use birth control. I've never understood why, but it is. And so it's a sin to use birth control. And then the hypocrite turns around and says, it's wrong to have a baby. Tony, I'm out of time. Your, your phone's also a little whacked out there. I'm sorry if you had a broader point to make there. Until next hour, your influence counts. Use it.